Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. You are, I hope, uh, you would have to have been not really not paying attention to not know what's going on with property taxes last year, this year, and going forward. Last year in Hamilton, it was 5.8% increase. This year, it's currently at 79 It's been expected that next year will be 77 Again, that's without any additional stuff that councillors might add, and that's with more reserves being taken out next year. Toronto, and by the way, this is not unusual, and Toronto is looking at 10.5, maybe 16%. So what do you do when you're a councillor, a mayor in particular, and you are going to be tapping the public for big, big increases? Is there any obligation on you to lead by example and either pass up an increase in your pay or maybe even take a cut in pay. Let me bring in Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Actually, Dr. Jay Goldberg, I forgot. Jay, how are you today? Doing well. It's great to be with you. This is, um, this is something that you and I, I think you and I did, uh, we talked about back during the good old days of covid uh, when everybody else seemingly was taking pay cuts or losing work time or be- getting laid off and politicians were getting pay increases again and again. And we said, you know, should there be leaving aside the bottom line impact, which may or may not have an impact, should there be as a leadership, a method of leadership by leading by example, should politicians do this? Well, here we are now again, asking the same question. Here we are again asking that very same question, and it's an unfortunate time that we're having to ask that question because, look, the average uh, homeowner in Toronto is looking at a $758 property tax hike, and if the feds don't deliver on the $250 million the city's counting on, uh, that property tax hike gets closer to $1,200 in one year. So, again, you can put aside, and we can certainly talk about later, the merits of the budget, exactly what's in it, what what Olivia Chow wants to do. But look, I think it's pretty common sense, Leadership 101, that when you're asking taxpayers to go through very tough times, you should lead by example. And at the very least, Olivia Chow should be passing up a pay hike this year. Instead, part of the proposed budget includes increasing her pay by $7,600. She already makes $217,000 a year. She already has her pension uh, from being a member of parliament. Uh, She's already part of that top 1% that people on council who align with her often talk about and say should pay more. And so I think a lot of Torontonians are frustrated at the size of the property tax increase, baffled by it in some cases. You've got 400,000 Ontarians working two jobs to pay the bills. And so I think that It's pretty common sense, and I think most taxpayers would nod their head in saying, if you're going to ask us to pay a bigger property tax bill than ever before, and it's going to go up significantly, and it could put your household in difficult financial positions, that at the very least, the mayor should lead by example and freeze her pay, if not cut it. I mean, clearly, and I don't think we're suggesting, I don't think you're suggesting anything to the contrary, whatever amount that she would cut her pay by or not take the increase is going to be essentially zero impact on the tax levy. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not, this is not about saving the taxpayers money per se. 
it's about showing that she and other politicians feel the pain that they are inflicting, and that's maybe a too strong word, I don't know, but passing on to the constituents, correct? Right, because, you know, city councils and mayors can increase spending, raise taxes, uh, and, you know, they're paid very handsomely. Uh, Levy Chow, as I said, gets $217,000 a year right now. She's not the kind of person that's going to have a lot of trouble if this massive uh, property tax hike goes through. But it's really important. Strong leaders, I think you're right, ask individuals, ask taxpayers something, but try to give something in return. And look, we saw in Nova Scotia, for example, a couple of years ago, the premier out there, Tim Houston, took an $11,000 pay cut because he wanted to show solidarity with taxpayers in Nova Scotia who are being asked to pay more and having a tough time. Again, we can debate the merits of the budget. You can debate the merits of the property tax increase. I think that's all fair game. But I do think when you're coming into office as she is, uh, when you're looking to make this major budget change, and when, yes, you're admitting that you're asking every household to pay a lot more in property taxes or indirectly through rent increases, it's the time to show that you care, to show that you're in tune with the population. And I think Olivia Chow would be very well served to come out and say, in my budget that will be presented February the 1st, the final mayor's budget, we're not going to increase my pay. You, you are uh, a kind and generous man. And the reason I know that is because a moment ago you said, if polit- when politicians ask the public to do something, there's no asking involved here. This is telling. When they pass this, you don't have a choice to say, ah, I decline. I'm going to stick. This is not asking anyone to do something. This is ordering them to do it. Let me go back to um, what you just said, though, about Olivia Chow. Did the Toronto budget in which she is slated to get this increase, was this not drawn up by her under strong mayor powers? So uh, let me just say, absolutely, they are forcing you to pay those taxes. There's no option there. Uh, She politely asked it during the election, I suppose, and danced around what she'd actually be asking for was very vague. And and here we are. In terms of the budget, the way the process works with the strong mayor powers is that city staff, along with the budget chief, who's a councillor in Toronto, Shelley Carroll, come out with a first draft of the budget. And then the mayor has the opportunity up till February the 1st to make some changes if she wants before she puts it forward to council. All of that should be conditioned, though, by saying that the budget chief is someone that was handpicked by the mayor. She herself said that uh, the policies, the budget itself was influenced by Olivia Chow's promises, her ideas, her platform. And there have been very deep consultations between city staff, the budget chief and the mayor. So it's highly unlikely that you're going to see major change before February the 1st. However, She does have an opportunity here now in the next two weeks to say, I've looked at the budget. I understand that this budget was modeled on my ideas, um, but there are some changes that need to be made because Toronto taxpayers deserve better. And maybe one of those changes is lowering the number for the property tax increase. And maybe one of those changes is saying, you know what, you know, the budget chief, city staff have built in this pay increase uh, that you know, generally I agreed with, but I've considered what the public has to say and I'm going to make a change. So she has that opportunity, but there's this two week consultation period where she can sort of 
look at the budget. It really is her budget, but she has the opportunity to reflect, to talk to taxpayers, and ultimately make a determination February 1st. And, you know, it could end up being a similar case as um, last year, for example, even in Hamilton, when you had um, Mayor Horvath at the very, very end of the process say, wait a second, the tax increase is not going to be quite as big as we thought it was going to be. I'm making a last minute change. So Mayor Chow could do that as well. Mm. Uh, a couple things very quickly. Uh, I believe last number that I can find for what the mayor of Hamilton makes, um, I believe it's around $185,000. Uh, I, I could be off by a little bit. That's the last most recent number that I can find. Uh, it would be very interesting to see what sort of response for the public. And I think it would generally be a positive one if the mayor or councillors were to say, I'm going to take a cut. How much of a cut? Well, let me just go to uh, our text line. Andre writes, what if the mayor and councillors all took a pay cut the same size as the tax hike? Very interesting. He says he, they might rethink the hike. Uh, we got to run, Jay. But I think that anybody who did that People still are not going to be happy with their tax increase, but I think they might at least have some grudging respect for the councillors that they put their own skin in the game. That's exactly it. They've got to put their skin in the game. I think that Olivia Chow in Toronto right now, before this budget was presented, definitely had some goodwill as a new mayor. And I think she should exercise that, use that, get that tax increase number down, get that salary increase removed. Frankly, I think that most politicians, if they come out and say, I'm canceling any pay hike, we're freezing it, no matter what level of government, uh, no matter what you're proposing, taxpayers will respond positively. And, you know, I've certainly had people today who say to me, well, you know, uh, it, it, this is a big city. It's a world class city. We got to pay a lot of money. Look, when someone's making over two hundred thousand dollars, their concern is not really this small increase. Mm. This is all about the message you're sending to the public. And the message politicians should be sending to the public is I'm going to share in your tough times, particularly if I'm going to force you to go through those tough times. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian, Dr. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian <laughs> Taxpayers Federation. I got to throw that in. It's new. I got to give it to you. Appreciate you doing this today. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There doesn't seem to be, to me anyway, as someone who doesn't use the product, that doesn't matter, but I'm not looking at every place to try and find it, but there doesn't seem to be a shortage of cannabis stores. If you want to buy the product, it seems there are lots of places where you can go and get it now. And I know some are disappearing. I also see others just now opening. However, Loblaws is apparently putting pressure on the government, on the Ford government, to allow changes in the rules that would potentially allow it, grocery stores, to sell cannabis. Um, part of the pitch, apparently, according to Global News, to the province includes doing away with government regulations that restrict the sale of cannabis inside stores where other items such as snacks and chocolate could be available for purchase. See, already I'm thinking this is going to be a boost to the <laughs> to the munchy department of the grocery stores, but I don't think that's really the issue here. Uh, Mitchell Osak is the CEO of Quanta Consulting Incorporated. He's a cannabis expert. Joins us now. Mitchell, how are you today? I'm great, Scott. Thanks for having me. Excellent. I, now, as I say, it makes it's very clear to me now why Loblaws wants cannabis. You put it next to the chips or the chocolate, and you're going to sell out every night in that aisle. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and you know what? You, you say that a bit of tongue-in-cheek, but 
that actually is probably a big part of the business really? case why they want to do that because they make a lot of money on chips and pop cannabis i'm not so sure they're going to make a lot of money because as we've seen in the industry right now not many retailers or licensed producers make much profit so okay well i thought i was being totally ridiculous but it does i mean it does make some sense i just i i thought i was i was goofing on that but okay that that does make some sense but what do we have and you know look in all seriousness do we have a need for more availability? Because I, I, I do see lots of places that are out there. Do we need to be bringing this into grocery stores or is this not a need issue? So I'm going to reply to your question with another question and sure. then I'll answer it. Who's the we? If we're consumers, more availability, more choice, more access is only a positive. If we are the industry... Do we need more stores? Probably not. I mean, more competition is good and it leads to better service, lower prices and so on. But we've got plenty of stores in Ontario right now. Yeah, and, and it's a good question about the about the who the we is because I, I would guess that if you are... Uh, you know, Mitchell's cannabis store that's down next to a grocery store, a big major grocery store, and all of a sudden they are selling it there. You're probably not happy about that idea. On the other hand, if you are someone who's a consumer and it makes it easier, you're probably very happy about it. Correct. Um, let's extend that analogy a little bit more. Um, if you go to Yorkdale, you know there's the Hudson's Bay company right. that sells lots of clothes, but there's also a lot of specialty apparel companies there as well. So it really depends on what Mitchell's cannabis company strategy is, what service I provide, what selection I offer. And it also depends on the prices and the consumer experience at Loblaws. You are absolutely right to suggest that this is going to hurt a lot of independent cannabis retailers, without a doubt. But I would argue, and the data shows, that they are already hurting. At the same time, this will be an expensive proposition for Loblaw to get into it. Um, it's going to take a lot of time. The, I have no reason to believe that they are smarter, smarter when it comes to cannabis merchandising and buying than thousands of other cannabis professionals across Canada. So it really is a big, a big bet for Loblaw, and it only will only really know over the long term. Based on what the law says right now, is there much wiggle room as far as pricing? If you are a bigger company like Loblaw, can you undersell the boutique stores that are out there trying to do this? Or are you basically going to be, it's just going to be convenience rather than any kind of savings? Excellent question. It, it's hard to say. The The grocery store model um, is like they buy a brick of cheese for $5.00 and they sell it for $10. And that brick of cheese can often last on the shelf for quite a long time, and people are coming in to buy it and so on and so forth. Cannabis is a very different product. You can't market it, you can't display it so somebody can see it and smell it, you can't sample it. Flowered cannabis starts to degrade the minute after it's trimmed and packaged. So we're really thinking about when we talk about cannabis, we have to think about it as like a vegetable or a meat or a dairy product, but without the ability of the retailer to market it, to sample it, and to do a lot of the in-store promotional things 
that uh, you can do with a normal product. Okay, forgive a stupid question that I should know the answer to, but I don't. Is there a, 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 a maximum size, a maximum quantity you can sell at one time? Because the first thing that came to mind after I thought Loblaws was, well, if it's going into Loblaws, Costco is going to want into the business and suddenly you're buying a bushel full. I mean, there, there has to be a maximum size, right? I believe there is a maximum size that are, that's dictated by Health Canada. And I believe that's a, a, a one ounce bag. And if that is not the maximum size, that really is the, is the largest, you know, format that most people are able to buy. That that one ounce bag could be, you know, 100 to $150 or in fact, even more. So we're talking at that bulk size, quite a big ticket item. Okay. And most of the market, I imagine, that Loblaws is targeting is not your hardcore cannabis consumer who are buying one ounce at a time. I mean, you go into a supermarket, so do I. I mean, I love to pick up beer and wine when I'm there, absolutely. But I'm also looking for milk and bread and, and, and those staples, not big bulk buys of cannabis. So, you know, you keep saying you're, you're asking stupid questions, but they're actually excellent questions. Because I think by opening up that distribution channel, if Loblaw is successful, I think that could significantly change consumer buying behavior around cannabis in Ontario. One more thing, and you just mentioned it. Is this basically an inevitability now that the Ford government has said we're going to allow booze into corner stores? Because always we hear people say, well, if you know, if, if booze is available, why is cannabis not? It, once that door was opened, is this not just naturally going to happen? I believe it will. But what we learned in cannabis is that, you know, things will inevitably happen. But the question is when? And that's something nobody can answer. Certainly, there are a lot of interests um, that will be yelling in uh, Premier Ford's ear not to let this happen. And those are sort of your independent retailers and so on and so forth. But on the other hand, I mean, why should... You know, most, you know, the source of most of uh, consumer buying for staples and other products in Ontario not have access to cannabis when they can have access to beer. Mm. Uh, that, yeah, and that's a question that I think a lot of people are going to uh, naturally go to because we've already heard that a lot of, uh, a lot of times with these things. Uh, Mitchell Osak, CEO of Quanta Consulting Incorporated. Mitchell, thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the more interesting discussions that has been going on very recently, I mean, it always sort of, with any NHL coach, it's always in the background, almost any NHL coach. But with the Leafs' struggles in the weekend, their last three games where they've blown a lead all three times, where some guys are not playing as well as they should, there is a looming, a growing discussion about, is it time for the Leafs to make a coaching change? Is it time, Sheldon Keefe, has he had plenty of time to figure this out and the playoffs haven't worked? And now, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, and I don't expect this to happen, but the Leafs are not in a position right now where they are guaranteed a playoff spot. And they are heading out, they start tonight on a three-game, three or four-game Western road trip Against some tough teams, Edmonton is red hot. Vancouver is really good. Winnipeg is first in the league. This could be either a breakout road trip for the Leafs or this could be a big problem. 
But what about the discussion? Is it time to consider the Leafs making a change and getting rid of Sheldon Keefe? Let me bring in Mike Stubbs. He is a guy who knows his way around a hockey rink. He's the host of London Live on 980 CFPL, but also the London Knights play-by-play announcer. Mike, how are you? Great, Scott. How are you? I am terrific. Hey, you know what? Before we even get to that question, I wanted to ask you something else really quickly, and then I'm going to get to that one. Tonight, I realized this earlier today. Today is January 16. I realized that back in 1982, this was the night, and we always remember this one, this was the night that my dad and I went down to Maple Leaf Gardens for the one time we got to see Wayne Gretzky play live. The Oilers were coming into Toronto, and they ended up losing to the Leafs 8-1. to Bunny LaRock even stopped Wayne Gretzky on a penalty shot. But it's that one moment, especially with my dad, it's the one moment that I, all that game that I always remember. Do you have anything that any moment where you look back and you go, there is a game, there is a, a thing I did as a kid that I will always remember doing that? You know what? That's an excellent question. I remember an Ottawa Rough Riders Toronto Argos game with my dad and it was watching the Canadian Football League and this was in Ottawa and we went to the game and then it was like we were going to go home and Super X was on. So mm-hmm. if you think of if you think of the CNE, it was the Ottawa equivalent. And so we went from the football game to Super X, one of the most amazing nights as a little kid and got to do it with my dad. So yeah, that would be the night. Yeah, no, that was, uh, that's a great one. That's no, I, I always remember January 16, 1982 was the first year Gretzky got 200 points and he was the, the show. I mean, in the NHL, he was the show. And I remember, and you've probably done this. If you ever went to a game at Maple Leaf Gardens, you had to walk the scalper gauntlet along Carlton street. And we were offered back then, 1982, the scalpers said, Hey, you got tickets. And my dad said, yeah, we do. And what do you give us for them? And it was, they were really, really good seats. They were front row golds. They were about the best seats you could get. We were offered back then 400 bucks a pop. Whoa. And my dad turned to me and he goes, we can go to the game. I'm happy to go or we can sell them and you can keep your 400. We'll go watch it somewhere at a restaurant. And I said, are you kidding? We're going to the game. And I don't regret it one bit, Mike, that 400 would have been long gone, but I'll always remember that night. See, see, there you go. We live in a world where bottom line and money seems to mean so much. You just illustrated Scott, the real meaning. And that's an amazing story. Well, and Mike, you know what else? I mean, I was talking earlier in the show that I had not intended to because the idea of sitting out in like brutally Arctic conditions doesn't thrill me. But I went last night with my son to the Bills playoff game because he got tickets at the last minute. And again, I'm not, I'm not a guy who loves the cold, but I think of that game with your, with my dad and you think, why would I then turn down the chance to make a similar memory with my own kid, Right. There you go. And you probably got to drink some slushy drinks and try and keep your feet warm in the fourth quarter. And they won. And they won. And yeah, no, it was, but again, like I, I, I look at these kind of things and I think there's an awful lot of people listening, I bet, who have one of, whether it's sports, it doesn't have to be sports. It could be something else, a concert or a show or whatever. But I bet almost every, or many people listening have one of those moments that they always remember with their parent. Yeah. For better or for worse. Hopefully for better. I hope so. All right, let's get back to uh, let's get back to Sheldon Keefe, who probably has one of these with his parent, but we're, he's not here to answer. Uh, <laughs> what do you do about Sheldon Keefe? He has, I think, I haven't looked it up in the last. I read somewhere recently. He has, I think, the highest 
coaching win percentage in the regular season, either among active coaches or all time. I mean, it's crazy. And yet we know what happens in the playoffs and we know they're not playing particularly well right now. What do you do? Well, here's what I do. I start looking at certain things because if you're going to make a coaching change, certain things have to exist. So Scott, the first thing I look at is, are the Toronto Maple Leafs overall underperforming? And you look and you say, well, they've got 14 more goals for than against. Their record right now isn't too bad when you take away all of the overtime games. Maybe it's a little bit different, but they're 21-12-8, and eight, and that's really good record. So you're nine games above 500. You are within striking distance of home ice in the playoffs. So I don't see them as being a team that's underachieving given their goaltender injuries, given the holes that they have on defense. So that's the first thing you look at. Then I think you have to look at, has Sheldon Keefe lost the room? And I don't think he has. This is an organization that has had Sheldon Keefe and its core together for a while. And so I think they're all still steering in the right direction. And here's why I say that they are. In the course of the regular season, You've got a lot of things that happen. You've got a long period of time. But there are moments in that regular season where they are like tests. It's almost like if you were in school and you're writing the odd quiz, and then every once in a while you have a test that's worth 20% of your final mark. If you go to some of those games for the Toronto Maple Leafs, you could point to most recently a game against the L.A. Kings. Now, the Kings have fallen in the dumper a little bit, but they were still playing okay when the Leafs went to L.A., and it was important for L.A. to win that game. Leafs won it 3-0. You can rewind and look at a game against the New York Rangers, who were going really well when the Leafs played them. Leafs won it 7-3. Game against the Panthers, they won in a shootout. Game against Boston, they went to overtime. Those would be those big-time tests And I thought they played well in each one of them. And you know what? Tonight is another one. The Oilers have won 10 in a row. The Leafs have lost three straight. This is another one where you have to raise your level. Because, Scott, as much as the hockey world looks at the regular season and puts a lot of stock in the regular season from a fan perspective, we know what happens to teams who win the President's Cup. In other words, teams that finish first overall. They're sure hard-pressed to win the championship that they really want, which is the Stanley Cup. And so you have to have moments during the season where you can prove that you can elevate your game. That comes from your coach, and it comes from the players. And I think you can pick enough moments that say the Leafs can play good defense when they need to. They can play hard when they need to. They've got guys who are starting to produce, like Max Domi, Kelly Yarncroke. They have... A lot of positives, Pontus Holmberg, they have a lot of positives to look at. And so I don't think you upset too much here. You allow them to go through the ebbs and the flows of the season so that they aren't completely drained by the time the playoffs hit. I keep Sheldon Keefe. Okay, um, great points. I mean, look, it's not like it sounds like you may have done radio before to make a compelling argument on the fly. Uh, the only issue, the only thing I would take issue with is when you said they're doing okay because they're 21, 12, and 8. Well, what that really means is they're 21 and 20, which is not, you know, I mean, I know they got the single points, but I, the, those, those overtime losses, I, I, I don't know. It, you, you include those and they are barely an over 500 team. I love the NHL's 
the way they put their standings because it makes everybody, it makes the Arizona Coyotes look like they're one of the great teams of all time if you if you play with the numbers. But it, it's just, it's a, it's a really interesting one because I look at this and I'm hearing all the arguments about Sheldon Keefe and all I can think is, do I believe that there is another coach who would do better with the lineup that he's been given? I, I mean, I think if there is a problem with this team, I'm less likely to put the blame on him and I'm more likely to put it on Kyle Dubas and Brad Treliving. Well, I, I think that's a great place to start. The one thing that I think we also have to factor in here, I think Sheldon Keefe allows other voices. And there are some coaches who absolutely won't. We just saw Bill Belichick end with the New England Patriots. He's a guy who would not allow other voices. And we saw what happened eventually. I have a lot of respect for a guy like Ken Holland. Because Ken Holland, who's the GM of the Oilers, who the Leafs play tonight, he would hire people, and still does, hire people who could do his job. But it made such a great brain trust. You bring in people who, yes, can do your job, but you have enough confidence that you can say, that's all right. We're going to be better together. And I really believe Sheldon Keefe is open to hearing things from whether it is Brad for living, maybe it's Brendan Shanahan. I don't know. I'm not in those meetings. And you can say, well, that's a that's a bad thing. But you're looking at good hockey minds. And so I think from the other side of things, would Treliving and Shanahan be willing to make a change and risk bringing in a coach who said, no, stay out of my coach's room. I do this, you do that. And I'm, I'm looking at it from that side, which is another reason why I don't think a coaching change will happen. You know, one of the things, though, that you do have to ask, and we're way before this, and your point, again, is a very fair point that, you know, for years they have put so much effort into finishing first. And I don't think they're not trying to finish first, but for, for years they've tried to, you know, we were going to blow it out in the regular season and it either looks like they are tired or just not prepared for the playoffs after that. Maybe, maybe... This is a different way of going about it, and you'll have more juice left when the playoffs roll around. But my goodness, I there does come a point when there's going to have to be something done differently if it doesn't work this time in the playoffs. I mean, because at a certain point, you're, you've committed to all the players, all the big players anyway. You're not changing them. At a certain point, somebody is going to have to face the bullet if things don't finally turn around. Sure, and I'm painting things pretty rosy right now, Scott, and you've given some reasons as to why they're not rosy. I mean, they're tied for 11th in the overall standings. That's not exactly top five, and so you'd like to see that be different. They've also blown leads, which is... That's the big part. That's the big part, right? They allowed the Columbus Blue Jackets to jump out to a 5 to nothing lead. That's the other thing that they will sometimes do. They'll be maybe a little slow off the start. Next thing you know, you're playing catch-up which they're very good at because they've got a lot of firepower. But those things are concerning. If you're losing games, that's one thing. In other words, if you're not winning every game, like I said, you can go out and play the way that it takes to win, but there won't be anything left of you once you get through 82 regular season games. The idea that they're blowing leads is is tough. And two teams like Detroit, in games when you say, hey, Detroit's starting to play well again, we got to stay in front of these guys, and they didn't. So... Do you put that on coaching? Do you put that on the players? I didn't really see a lot of coaching mistakes. I thought it was interesting that Sheldon Keefe brought up after the game, he called out the line that William Nylander and John Tavares and Matthew Nyes 
really didn't have a good shift. I thought that was an interesting tact. But again, it, it's one of those coaching things where you're trying to wake up everybody else. So are you trying to wake up Marner and Matthews? Maybe you're trying to wake up Nylander. I worry about that Nylander contract. I didn't want to see them sign William Nylander. I worry about that contract, Scott, simply because you're giving a lot of money to a guy in a contract year, yes, but you're basing it on what he was doing in that contract year. He's had some good playoff moments, but I just hope that that doesn't allow him to get complacent in any way. I want to see him hungry again. I think a lot of Leaf fans are concerned about that, that they have, I think now, four of the top 11 highest paid players in the league, and they're just... There is not evidence, and again, this is why I, you know, well, even though we raised the question of Sheldon Keefe, I don't, I don't really put it on him. I put it on the general managers and Brendan Shanahan, quite honestly. There is no template or precedent for a team doing well in the playoffs when you are this top-heavy, mostly because there's never been a team that's been this top-heavy. And where is the defense? Because that's something that needed to be rebuilt even when Brad Treliving came to town, even before he arrived as Toronto Maple Leafs general manager, that's going to be the big thing. At the trade deadline, can you go out and address that? And there are limitations. You're not going to bring in a number one defenseman because there are a lot of other teams that have number one defensemen who need them right now. They don't grow on trees. And so that's going to be a, a big deal because you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs defense and you look at what has been winning championships and they're not polar opposites, but they're not exactly sitting on the same bus. So this is something that becomes a concern. What do you do with goaltending? Martin Jones has been great of late, but who starts if, if the playoffs started tomorrow, Scott, and you had a healthy Joseph Wall and you had Ilya Samsonov and you had Martin Jones, Who's starting in goal? I, I don't even think that's been determined. And at some point it needs to be. The one really wild card question that exists, and it kind of, I don't know if I can say it flew under the radar. I don't think anything with Maple Leaf sports and entertainment flies under the radar, but we learned uh, a week or so ago that Keith Pelly, a guy that a lot of people around here know from TV days, he was the guy um, if my recollection serves, who was behind the Sportsnet and CTV and all the, the Olympics in 2010, he was behind that whole consortium that brought the Vancouver Olympics out. He's, he's a guy who's known for doing a lot of things. He's taking over as head, as head of MLSE in April. And I really wonder, I mean, we know what happened when Tim Laiwiki, who was another big personality, came in. He cleaned house with the Raptors and Leafs and brought in uh, Brendan Shanahan and brought in Masai Ujiri and, but they were big moves. They were big gaudy moves to try and change things. I wonder if something doesn't happen with the Leafs this spring, if we see big, big moves again at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. That is a really shrewd observation. I think I, I really believe it is because you bring in somebody who's done it before in the past and it may not just be the Maple Leafs because let's face it the Raptors are in a situation right now where how are they moving forward where is their next step where is their next level how do they get back to contending so that's a really good observation and it's something that I'm sure in the boardrooms it's being felt um, you've got people who certainly have good track records and people who were brought in for a reason 
the Leafs have not had the success in the playoffs that they've wanted to. The Raptors have won a championship in that time. So if the Leafs can have a long run this year, I think it probably takes a lot of pressure off. Keith Pelly's going to work out no matter what he's doing, whether he has to make big moves or not. He's just somebody who's very good at what he does. So it's a positive for Maple Leaf sports and entertainment. But that's a really, really keen observation, Scott. And one I think Leaf fans and Raptors fans as well need to keep in their back pocket. And again, Will, we got to run, but we'll talk about this, I'm sure, down the road. But I, someone mentioned something the other day that I had to go, I had to stop in my tracks for a second and think about, and it's true. The Toronto Maple Leafs, I mean, we're, we're already looking towards the playoffs because around here, for Leaf fans, nothing else matters. I mean, Austin Matthews can score 247 goals in a season, and it doesn't matter unless they do all the playoffs. The Toronto Maple Leafs have never, in the entire history of their franchise, won more than two playoff series in a single year. Which is, to I me, stunning. It is stunning because wow. in 1967, there were only two rounds of the playoffs. That was the last time they got to the finals. They have not been to the finals since. They have never, ever won more than two playoff rounds in a season. I almost fell out of my chair when it, that dawned on me what they are trying to do, which is not that much, really, you would think. Every other franchise seems to have done it, just not the Leafs. I'm on the floor right now. I had no idea. That's, that is one of the wildest stats that you could bring up. Wow, it's true. Yeah. They went to the third round against Vancouver in 94, third round against the Kings lost. in 93. Wow. Yeah, never. That's true. Yeah, so so Sheldon Keefe is being asked to do something that no other Leaf coach has ever done before. Maybe maybe that maybe the bar then is too high to fire him. <laughs> we shall see, but ponder that one for a while. That one, that one stuck with me for a bit to think about that one. Uh, that is Mike Stubbs. He is the host of London Live on 980 CFPL and the London Knights play-by-play announcer. Mike, always love having you on. Thanks for doing this. Hey, Scott, love being here. Thanks. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.